0: I was thinking of those last two songs, how much they go together. The Apostle John writes to us, he says, How great, get this, how great is the Father's love for us that He has lavished on us, not just stingily, not just a little bit, but how great is the Father's love that He's lavished on us that we should be called children of God? A lot of times we give ourselves labels. A lot of times other people give us labels. But the label that we need to bear, the label that we need to live in is beloved. We are the beloved of God. And everything that God is, everything that God has for us is simply a matter of how much we want it. How desperate are we? Amen? That's not even my message. That's a freebie. We're going to continue in our Breathe series this morning, and just as kind of a brief recap, what we've talked about so far in this series, the idea of the breath of the Almighty, us needing from God, because we're in a desperate situation, we need God to breathe His Spirit into our lives so that we can be all that he's created us to be. And so we've looked at the need for us to be speaking scripture into our lives and into the lives of one another, so that the truth of God is able to get into our hearts and our minds combat all of the lies that are out there in our culture. All those labels, all of those ways people think and do and see that are contrary to what we were actually created to be. Then we talked about finding a quiet place, because it's a busy, noisy world, isn't it? And we need to get away from the responsibilities and the obligations to get back into that quiet place to hear God's voice so that we can go fulfill those obligations and responsibilities in a way that honors him with his power and his strength, rather than trying to sum it up from ourselves. And then... We talked about Sabbathing, that there needs to be a rhythm in our lives of communication with God, of being able to breathe in the Spirit of the Lord. And then last week, Alex shared the importance of confessing and forgiveness. Because to not do that, you'll remember he said, was like holding our breath. Who won, by the way? We weren't here. Who won? Excellent. Congratulations. But the poisonous gases stay within us if we fail to do that and only by letting it out do we have the room for God's pure and refreshing breath to come in. All of these are ways in which God breathes his life into us. All of these are the things that whether we recognize it or not we are desperate for and God is more than willing to provide that life to us. And so today we're going to talk about another one of the practices if you will of the christian life that helps breathe god's spirit into us and that is this serving one another but first i have to ask you a question who likes to scuba anybody here a scuba diver all right scuba looks amazing look at this picture is this this how you picture scuba isn't that amazing yeah right scuba of course stands for what self-contained underwater breathing apparatus, right? It's what enables us to go be with the fish. What you? Say? No idea of that, huh? No. So this is how I picture it. What about the next picture? Yeah, that's my picture, <laughs> that's <what> I picture. <laughs> right. I don't know if that's photoshopped or not, but it's scary looking. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is my 25-minute scuba career. That's right, 25-minute scuba career. Back in the early 90s, one of my brothers was living down in the island of St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands, beautiful, beautiful place. And I went down to spend some time with him, and one of the things we did when I first got down there was go snorkeling. And if you've ever snorkeled, and I love snorkeling, it always gives you this idea of, I want to go deeper, I want to see more. It's so beautiful, just up at the surface, let me go more. And so we set out, and of course... You know, if they would just strap a tank on me and put a mask on and let me wade right on into the lake or the river or the sea, whatever it is, I would be fine doing that, but they don't let you do that, do they? Scuba enthusiasts, they make you go through training, right? That was my mistake. See, I don't have any problem with the whole breathing, learning to breathe through the apparatus and any of that. My problem came when they started teaching us about clearing. You know what clearing is? Clearing is say you get under the water and all of a sudden your mask fills up with water or for some reason gets askew and you have to be able to take that mask off, clear it, and then rebreathe. All the while you're what? In the water. The water's everywhere, it's pretty hard to clear when you're in the water. I just continually had that difficulty and to the point where I confess I panicked. I panicked and I couldn't breathe. And as I couldn't breathe, I started jostling all around and I wound up actually throwing my neck out while I'm underwater with this tank trying to clear my mask. It was not a pretty sight. So that was about 25 minutes into my first lesson and that was it for me and scuba. I didn't even make it to the next part of the training, which is called buddy breathing. You familiar with buddy breathing? Take a look at this video for a second. So if your tank runs out of air or for some reason isn't functioning properly, you are really in trouble, aren't you? Unless there's somebody there who has oxygen, somebody who can provide the breath that you no longer have. Okay, not a lot of scuba people. How about anybody ever play football or real sports? I'm not talking about the World Cup. I watch some of the World Cup. Can I be honest with you? The way those guys flop around the field as soon as, as, soon as they're touched... You know you know what's worse, though? American football is getting just as bad with this new roughing the passer rule. You know, it's it's horrible. Anyway, if you've ever played a sport, a contact sport, you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Man, that's a scary feeling, isn't it? You don't really know. You don't think you're dying, but at the same time, you can't breathe. You can't find that next breath. You can't inhale and get right back to where you know normal is. Well, let's be honest. Sometimes life knocks the wind out of us, doesn't it? Sometimes we get that medical diagnosis. Sometimes we get that pink slip from work. Sometimes the relationship that we were putting so much trust and hope in suddenly disappears. And it feels like our very life has been knocked out of us, doesn't it? Some of you might be here today in one of those kinds of situations. You just feel like you got the wind knocked out of you and you don't know where the next breath is coming from. And what we need, what you and I need in moments like this in our lives more than anything else is a breathing buddy. We need somebody who's full of the wind and the life of the Almighty to breathe into our lives at these, our lowest points. So this morning what I want to walk through a little bit is some of the principles that go in to serving each other as a breathing buddy. And we'll also take a look from scripture. So there's four takeaways that I wanna give you up front. The first one is this, serving others is the example that Jesus sets for us, right? When we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see him always concerned about the needs of other people, don't Always see him ministering whatever help is necessary. And he told us that was his purpose. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Think about this. The very night before he's crucified, he gathers his closest with him around the dinner table. And as they're preparing to eat, he gets up, he takes off his outer robe, and he wipes a towel around his waist And he goes and he functions as what would have been the lowest position in the room that night, the servant. And he bends over and he begins to wash the feet of every single one of those disciples, including the one who's about to betray him. And he gets down and he humbly washes them and it creates in them a sense of what's going on here. Peter's like, no, 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 you're not going to do that to me. And he has that dialogue with Jesus about if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. But then John tells us this. Look at John 13, 12 to 17. After washing their feet, it says, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Notice he didn't say, I give you a suggestion that if it's convenient for you or if you ever feel like it. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Serve the way I have served you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you if you do them. You want God's blessing this morning? Sure we do, don't we? Here it is right here. We are blessed by serving others. We receive the life by giving life to others, which leads to our second takeaway, Serving others is the evidence of our love for God. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews says this, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have, listen, shown your love for him by caring for other believers, as you still do. It's very easy to say I love you, isn't it? It's very easy for me to tell Amy, I love you, but if I never demonstrate that love in tangible ways, it's just words. And if there's anything that people continually look at the church and say, here's the problem, it's the fact that we're called hypocrites, right? Because we talk a good talk, but so often fail to walk the right walk. Bruxy Cavy, who's pastor of a large Anabaptist church in Ontario, Canada, has this thing he calls the hypocrisy gap. And what that means is the difference between what we know, let's say this stack is what we know, and this stack is what we apply, the difference is what he calls the hypocrisy gap. You know what? You have a hypocrisy gap, I have a hypocrisy gap, we all have a hypocrisy gap. The question is whether or not we're comfortable with it and whether we live with it or whether we really want God to do something in our lives to help us eliminate the hypocrisy gap. See, that was the problem back in Jesus' day. Jesus has his harshest words, his most challenging teaching to the religious elite who felt they had got all figured out but didn't care about the person next to them, the ones who were deciding who was in and who was out and not having any compassion or desire to change the lives of those who they thought were out. And that still exists. It's existed throughout the history of the church. It was the problem then. It's the problem now. Our actions as people of God don't match our words. Let me say that again. Our actions as people of God don't match our words. And you know what? It's just as bad inside the church as it is with people outside the church. We, with each other, aren't serving the way we've been called to serve. Jesus told us the way that the world out the doors here will know that we belong to him is by the way that we love one another. And we just saw that love isn't just saying I love you, it's doing love. It's being love. The third takeaway I want you to look at this morning is this. Serving others is God's expectation of responsibility with our gifting. Peter says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Can I ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you really believe that God has equipped you and gifted you? That's what that entire survey is about, right? You have to know it, you have to understand it before you can ever begin to apply it. But Peter's telling us, yes, you have. One of the great passions that I have for the church is helping people discover and implement their gifts. Because it's so beautiful to watch somebody who thinks, I I don't know, I, I don't know if I have one, come alive when they really discover it and when they're encouraged to actually put it into practice. But think of it this way. Did you ever give anybody a gift, birthday gift, Christmas gift? Did you ever give a gift that you thought a person was really going to love and really get excited about, And you give it to them, and they act like, oh, you just, you know, you really feel underappreciated, right? I went through all this trouble. I thought this was the perfect gift. And you just kind of like, well, yeah, that's nice. Let me set that over here. That's a horrible feeling, right? And God is so rich and so generous and so loving to us and gives us so much. And you know what he says? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit than that ask? Are we asking enough? Are we believing enough? Are we receiving all that God has for us? Understand this. There's accountability with God. God is love. God is mercy. God is forgiveness. God is all of those wonderful things. But do never, never, never believe that God won't hold you accountable for the things that he has given you. We'd always like to hear that, do we? That that makes us tremble. Sometimes, But that's what the whole parable Jesus tells about the talents is about. Scripture talks about a judgment of rewards. God expects you to use the gifts that he gives you, and he expects you to use them to serve one another well. Fourth takeaway is this. Serving others is the pathway to greatness in the kingdom of God. All of those disciples that are traveling around with Jesus those three years are all kind of jockeying for position, right? They all want to get Jesus' ear. They want to be his right-hand man. Literally, the sons, of, the sons of thunder are the ones who say, can one of us sit on your right and one of us on your We want both positions. And Jesus makes this remarkable statement. He says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Debating a political comment there, but I'll stay away from it. <laughs> Let me say it this way In the elections that are coming up, look for the person who's a servant. Jesus was great, right? Right? That's why you're here this morning. And I love the way Jesus' ministry is summed up. I, I use this verse almost every time I speak because it's such a powerful verse. Acts 10, 38. The setting is Peter talking to Cornelius. Peter is invited by God to break out of his Jewish circle to bring the good news to the Gentiles, the people outside in the perspective of Jewish people. And he's invited in and he says this, he sums it all up as this, Acts 10.38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and he went around doing good. I love the beautiful succinctness of wrapping up, healing, multiplying bread and fishes. Everything Jesus did gets wrapped up as saying doing good. And healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. I could preach on that message for three hours, but I won't. But catch that, going around, doing good. That's what made Jesus great. And so we, we look at that and we sometimes go, well, that was Jesus. But let me ask you, can you do good? Can every one of us in this room do good? Sure we can. Well, we, we have a couple of objections. We go, well, you mean even me? I'm nobody special. Well, he's Jesus of Nazareth. That's why Peter chooses to call him Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth is a little podunk town. Nazareth is like Dublin or Whiteside. No, Lightford don't know no. if you're from there. I'm not saying anything other than the fact that it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the place that would be known. You know? In fact, when we were in our tour of Israel, the guide said there is absolutely no record of the town of Nazareth in any of the major Jewish censuses. Even in the Roman censuses, it doesn't appear, which generally leads people to believe that the town of Nazareth had maybe 400 to 500 people in it. And yet Peter doesn't say Jesus from heaven. Peter doesn't say Jesus the Christ. He says Jesus of Nazareth, that little guy from the podunk village up the street and you know what we often forget that Jesus is the illegitimate son of a menial laborer I'm nobody special God you can't use me the answer is yes I can I can use you I will use you see it's who you are in Christ not in the world that qualifies you to serve other people Ephesians 2 says we are God's handiwork. Masterpiece is some of the translations. Do you see yourself as a masterpiece? Do you see the work that God's doing in your life and recognize it as something beautiful, something priceless, a treasure? He does, and we need to as well. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, it says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We don't even have to figure it out. We just have to make ourselves available to God. The kingdom is waiting for you and I to impact it with service. The other objection sometimes you hear is, well, I I really can't do anything of importance. Okay, God might use me, but what difference is it really going to make? Do whatever. Do whatever. Go around doing good, just like Jesus did. Do whatever. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you're doing it as though you were doing it for me. So just do it, whatever. Do that good. It's not about the worthiness of the recipient either. It's important to state this here. Don't do good because a person deserves good done to them. Because most of what Jesus did wasn't for people who were worthy, was it? was it for people who deserved him to do something. It was for those outcasts. It was for those people on the margins. And so we, if you really want to do good, go find those people, the least of these, and do it as though you're doing it to Jesus, because that's what service is about. It's about honoring Jesus. I love how the Bible... There's two things, let me say it this way, that I really love about the Bible. One is it's full of messed up people. It's not a perfect religious book that tells the story of perfect religious people, does it? All of the heroes have flaws. But the second thing I really love about this book, you read it cover to cover, you find out that it's full of unsung heroes. It doesn't have just the Davids and Moseses and Abrahams and Peter, John and James, those people. It also has Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, who drops by to give him some very strong sound advice. It has Jonathan's armor bearer who joins him in a battle against the Philistine outpost and the two of them take it. It's the story of Elisha receiving hospitality and room and board from a Shunammite woman. We don't even get her name. It's Jesus and his apostles having women followers that are caring for their needs and providing support. It's Paul's nephew discovering a plot against his life and having the courage to go tell the Romans to watch out. All of these kinds of unsung heroes. But there's one I really love that I think really hits home today's message. And that's a guy by the name of Onesiphorus. That's a fun name, say it. Onesiphorus. His name means beneficial or bringing profit. He is actually in the Eastern Orthodox churches. He is recognized as a saint, this little unsung guy. Have you ever heard of him in this service before? He's a saint in the Orthodox church. Legend says that he was one of the 70 that Jesus sent out to preach. And it also says that he died as a martyr being pulled apart by two horses. Hmm, sign me up. Onesiphorus. Well, in Paul's second letter to Timothy, which scholars, not all scholars, but most scholars believe was Paul's last writing before he died. So you'd think, okay, last words have got to be pretty important, right? Last thing I want to tell the church that I've served and given my life for before I go. In the very first chapter of Second Timothy, beginning at verse 15, it says this. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. That's a great way to feel at the end of your life, isn't it? Including Phygellus and Hermogenes. Meaning those two stuck out a little bit further than the rest, but ultimately they let me down too. And please understand here, Paul is not complaining. Paul knew who he was, knew where he was headed. But he makes this point so that he can contrast those people who deserted him with guys like Onesiphorus. So it goes on to say this, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. At the end of the letter, he goes on to say, Greet the household of Onesiphorus. The very last letter that the great apostle is writing commends a nobody, commends one of the unsung heroes of Scripture, commends somebody just like you and me. And what did he do? Well, he refreshed Paul, which means he encouraged Paul. It's the same word that Peter uses in, in one of his great sermons earlier in Acts. He says, pray for God's forgiveness and times of refreshing will come from the Lord. It's one thing to preach that abstractly. Paul, saying Onesiphorus did it in reality. He came and refreshed me. It's an impact of a positive presence. It's an impact of showing up. It's being a breathing buddy to a guy who has lost all of his error. The second thing he said, he was not ashamed of my chains. See, he wasn't judging Paul, was he? He wasn't calling him inside or outside. He wasn't worried about how the relationship to this guy who's in prison, who's a criminal... In the world around him affects his image or his reputation. He goes into the prison, meets Paul there, who's really Jesus in this case, right? And does for him. He's not ashamed of his chains. See, Paul was the reason Onosiphorus knew Christ, he was his spiritual father. He would have done anything. He would have taken his place in prison, I'm convinced, if the Romans would have let him do it. But that's good, right? He did good. It's the impact of a grateful heart. If you and I are grateful, then it ought to show in our lives, not just in our words, but in our lives. And thirdly, he searched hard. In other words, he was having some difficulty locating Paul, not just within the city, but Even within the empire, nobody knew exactly where he was. Paul wasn't able to post on Facebook that he had gotten imprisoned. It took some effort, in other words. His friend needed him, and he was willing to inconvenience himself for the sake of somebody else. How hard do we search for the opportunity to do good? How hard do we dedicate our lives to being able to impact a faithful friend and be a faithful friend? See, service was Onesiphorus' whole lifestyle. Did you catch what Paul said? You know how many times he helped me in Ephesus. This wasn't a one-time thing. This was a lifestyle of is to go around doing good to helping Paul. And so Paul here at the end of his life has never forgotten. He's never forgotten. He... he never forgot all the people who deserted him, right? But he's also never forgotten the impact that Onesiphorus has made over the course of his life. They were doing life together. How many times have you heard a church pastor say, we have to do life together? That's what doing life together is. He remembers the one who remembered him, the one who served him in his hour of need, what about you and I? Is that kind of service to others our lifestyle? Is that something we feel like oh, I should be doing, but I don't do, or I should probably do more, but I don't know how? Is the impact that we are making for the kingdom of God in the lives of other people a positive impact, a neutral impact because we're not making one, or a negative impact because we fail to do the good we know to do, which the Bible calls sin. See, the truth is most of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, will never be a Moses, will never be a David, will never be a Peter, will never be a Paul, but every one of us in this room can be an Onesiphorus. So the point is this. service to others is simply giving ourselves away, giving time, effort resources away for the benefit of somebody else we dedicate a lot of that time effort and resources to ourselves don't we especially in a culture like ours but can we give it away is that our lifestyle that's the example jesus set it's how we show real love for god it's what god expects from us and it's what pleases god our father and makes him proud of us as his children So here's the challenge for you. Ready for a challenge? What can I give away right now that will enable someone who's gasping for spiritual air to experience the breath of the Almighty refilling their spiritual lungs? What can you and I Right now, give away. I ask you to take a few moments this week, sometime in your quiet time, in your Sabbath, to just ask God for the answer to that question. What do you have, what can you do that you can give away and be a breathing buddy to a person who's desperate? And I want to leave you with an image. I'm going to give you some suggestions. Anybody a member of AAA? Yeah. AAA does what? They serve motorists, right? When there's needs, whether that need is pre-planning a trip or whether it's something on the side of the road, you call AAA. Well, I'm going to give you three A's, okay? Okay. And I don't have this on the slide. Just remember the logo so that anytime you drive past a AAA office or you see somebody who has a AAA logo on the back of their car, I want this to prompt your memory. Three things that you have the ability to give away. First, affirmation. Every single one of us, without fail in this room, can offer a word of encouragement, can we not? Affirmation. People need to be affirmed. Because people who are gasping for air spiritually feel like they're dying. And we need to come along and let them know that God is still God. And that they are still precious to God. Created in his image of inestimable worth because Jesus thought enough to come and die for them. We can encourage people with affirmation. Secondly, second A is actions. A kind gesture. That just helps lighten the load. I can't tell you what that is for you, but it's certainly something out there. There's certainly something you can do in action. Love in action. And then thirdly, assets, a material blessing. We all have assets. We may not have as many as we wish we had. We may not have any that we think we can really give away, but I promise you, scriptural truth is it's more blessed to give than receive. And if you're in a place where you're praising and praying, God, help me, send me this, I need this, I need that, I believe God's first challenge is we'll give away what I've already given you. I'm not talking about all of it. That's a whole different message on giving. But certainly there are assets that we have, material things, that somebody else needs more than we need. Triple A. Can you remember that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge this morning. We thank you for the beautiful example that we see in the scriptures, that someone as great in the history of the church as Paul, on his very deathbed, recognizes not all of the great people he worked with, but somebody who came along and ministered to him in his need and who did it faithfully time and time and time again. And Lord, we just present ourselves to you this morning. We ask you, Father, to remind us of how richly blessed we all are. How you have given each one of us spiritual giftedness, material blessing, the ability to speak words of encouragement, the ability to do something kind. And I pray that you would help us to see and serve those in need. Help us to become breathing buddies when someone's got the wind of God knocked out of them. Help us to live in your grace, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to honor you, Jesus, as we follow your example. And We pray it in confidence, knowing this is your will for us, and we pray it in your name. And we all say, amen.
1: Chris, just as Chris was talking there, I think I want to lay a challenge out to you guys this week. And I was thinking of that AAA thing and affirmation, action, and what was the last one? I forgot it already. Assets. That's it, right? But I think we should do this week. And let's do this this morning, just before we leave. If you've got your phone, pull your phone out. And go to your text messages. And you can do this right now. But send a text message to someone this today. Don't do it this week because you'll forget about it today. Send a text message to someone just to encourage them, somebody that you needs, you know, needs encouragement. Do it today. And the reason I say get your phones out right now because send yourself a text message to remind yourself to do it. Because that's what I do all the time. And then plan to do something this week for the good of somebody else. Plan it today. Don't wait till next week. Oh, I'll, I'll think about it later. Plan it today. And then the third thing, and I was just thinking as Chris was talking, when you get in your car to drive home or drive to Panara Bread or wherever you're going to go after, look around what's in your car. Or when you get home, look around at your home. And look, is there something here that can benefit someone else more than me that I really don't need? And then get it out. And then let that maybe be part of your action. And go and give that to somebody. And plan on donating it or giving it to somebody else. Maybe it's someone needs some money. Maybe someone needs a gift card or, you know, maybe you've got a car seat and someone doesn't have a car seat, you know. And give them a baby car seat. Whatever you may have. I look at my house and we got a bunch of junk, you know. So let's do that this week, you know, let's, let's, as, a, as, as an, a point of action to do that. Because what happens, and this is what I know, when we're doing good, We can think about it and we can try to do it. But unless we start to model it, it never becomes a habit. So let's today, let's start modeling that, right? You want to take the challenge? Yeah, let's do it, right? Let's do it. Send a text message to someone today or give them a call. Call them up or say something. People say to me every week when I leave, they give me words of affirmation and it's great. But let's do it with each other as well. Or people that you know in your life. So let's stand together and uh, before we leave, let's just pray one more time. And let's leave and believe that God's going to do amazing things with our triple A's this week, right? So Father God, we thank you for the word that Chris has just given. God, we pray, Lord, that it will set right in our hearts, God. As it has been planted in our hearts, we pray this week that it will germinate and it will start to grow, Lord. And Father, that we will do good for those God in our lives and we will be known as people who do good for others God we pray Lord Jesus that it will become a habit Lord that we won't even have to try to think about it or it just be natural for us as it was natural for your son Jesus Christ to do good so father help us this week Lord to affirm one another to act in good ways Lord and to look at our assets And give unto those who need more than what we need, Father. We pray in your name, Lord, bless us this week in all that we do. In your holy name, amen.